Are you not having the success you want with your direct bookings? Perhaps you are tired of feeling like you are out of your depth and wish there was an easier way. Well, I've got an exclusive free training coming up that just might help. Join me on April 4th when I will share the top three mistakes that I consistently see vacation and short-term rental property managers make in their desire for direct bookings that could be costing you major profits. I will also be sharing my top tips in building your own direct booking sales engine that will bring in those direct bookings while you sleep. Come and join in the fun. Head to my website, directbookingsuccess.com, and click on the free training button to join me on April 4th, because you deserve your own direct booking success. This is the Direct Booking Success Podcast, bringing you the information you need to increase your direct bookings. I'm your host, Jen Boyles. As an owner and manager myself, I know how hard it can be to navigate the short-term rental industry. I'm here to help so you too can have direct booking success. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Direct Booking Success Podcast. Today we are speaking with Yvonne Helling. She will be also speaking at the Direct Booking Success Summit in September. Yvonne, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Jen. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. Oh, great. Let's let's start with having you introduce yourself for everyone listening. Okay, so I'm Yvonne Halling. I'm an award-winning consultant, mentor, and coach at bedandbreakfastcoach.com, which I founded in 2013 to help bed and breakfast owners, short-term rental owners, vacation rental owners, anybody with an independent hospitality business that wants to essentially create, start, run, and grow a direct bookings business. We work with clients all over the world. It's all online. And we typically help clients to increase their business by at least 25% in one season while working less and having more fun, having an easier life. Lovely. That's what we're all aiming for, isn't it? Working less and yeah. earning more. That's what. Yeah. Hard work's overrated, in my opinion. It is. It is. Now we have to put the work in to get there. But once we're there, yes. Yes. Brilliant. Okay. So let's talk about you and your start in the industry. How did you get the the bug? <laughs> the hospitality bug. Well, actually, I think I've been doing hospitality all my life, all my adult life. I've always enjoyed those like soft skills, the hosting, the cooking, the entertaining, the interior design. All of those lovely things that most people think that's what running an independent hospitality business is about, right? And I was one of those people as well. And then I've always enjoyed that in my life. I'm a qualified soft furnisher. I'm a qualified interior designer and upholsterer. I love homemaking. I love cooking. I've studied at the Cordon Bleu School. You know, I've done lots of things in my life that equipped me I think to be to be a really good host and I was a very good host whether people paid me or not this is before my B&B days and then in 1990 so in in 1989 we my husband and I left the UK and he got a job in San Francisco 
And we went and lived there for a year. And then after that, he got a job in Tokyo. And we went to live there for four years and where we had two children who were born there. And then we came back to England in the end of 1993 to a job that didn't really work out for my husband. Mm. So he decided to jack it in. And one day, as fate would have it, because fate always plays a part, he discovered an MBA program running in Paris in luxury brand management. And when he showed me the curriculum, it kind of like had his name all over it. So we sold the house in England. He jacked in his job and we went to France in 1995. Wow. Okay. So yeah, that's going back a ways, isn't it? It is. It yeah. is. So we had two very young children, aged two and four, no job. He was doing a an MBA in Paris, a one-year MBA in Paris. And we rented a house on the outskirts of Paris in a little village. And there, and there began our French adventure. Now, you know, I didn't speak any French at all. Well, I thought I did, you know, but when yeah. you get there, you don't speak any French at <laughs> that's all. That's right. That's right. <laughs> Apart from a few holiday phrases that yeah. aren't really much good. So I set about, while he was doing his MBA, I decided that I was going to learn French. So I set about doing that and it was hugely a lot of fun, a lot of fun and a, a very embarrassing as well at the same time. But we all learned to speak good French. All four of us learned to speak good French in that first year. And then he was top student in his class, won his MBA, and he, because he'd been in the wine business before, we'd both been in the wine business for a long time. He was invited to go and work at Moet in Champagne. Wow. Yeah, that's yeah. not a job uh, offer that you hear about every day, is it? No, it wasn't. And so we thought, well, well, why not, you know? And of course, this is 1996. This is before the internet. Yeah. Right? If you can imagine, without the communication channels that we have now, without access to information, without, you know, just flying blind, really, compared to what we can do now. So we rented a house because we didn't know how long this was going to last. And, and so he started his marvellous job at night. And he was travelling quite a lot. He was sales director for Australia, New Zealand, Far East. And because he spoke Japanese, he was flying to, you know, working in Japan quite a lot as well. So I was basically a single parent at this stage. He was away two weeks out of eight months a year, two months, two weeks every month for eight months of the year. Wow. So I was home alone quite a lot. And uh, this is rural France, right? Champagne is very rural. And, and uh, in 1995, before the internet, you know, most people didn't even know that it was a region. They knew about the drink. Yeah. They didn't know it was a region. So it was actually at that time, the, the least visited area of France. It's Northeast. It doesn't have any beaches. You know, it's not, it doesn't have the appeal of the Côte d'Azur, for example, or even the West Coast. So it was a very kind of backwards place to live with rural people and rural way of life. And, and, and I'm not saying that I didn't enjoy it. I did. It was, I learned so much there. But after but it must a, have been hard for you. It was though. very hard. It was you know, you weren't hard. expecting to be a single mom, two little kids, Foreign, even though you're speaking French, you're in a foreign country. Yeah. So, what was what did you do next? Well, 
I happened to me, most of our life was French, absolutely French, right? Everything outside of the home was a French. But I happened to meet an English lady who was running a B&B. And I thought, hmm, well, I can do that, right? Yeah. How hard can it be? <laughs> so in 1999, I declared to my husband that this is what I wanted to do. That I was pretty, frankly, a bit bored. I needed something to occupy me and the girls while he was away all the time with his fabulous job, right? We were living separate lives. We were living yes. two parallel lives here. He had the marvellous job with all the glamour and the glitz that you'd expect from working for a company like Moitié Chandonne. And I had the rural French life with the French people, right? It was totally different. So I said, I'd like to buy a house. I'd like to buy a big house and I want to run a B&B. So he said, okay, okay. Kudos to him. So in 2000, uh, January 2000, I looked around for a house to buy. Now, I don't know if you've ever bought a house in France, but there's kind of two types of houses. There's the modern houses that are nicely built, nicely insulated, quite small, and usually on what they call lotti small, which is like an estate. And then there's the old houses which have fallen into disrepair quite a long time ago and often need quite a lot of work. Right. right? Those are those big uh, ground houses that you normally see as you're thundering down the motorway. Yeah. Yes. And there's not much in between. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I knew it had to be an old house and I knew we had to do some work. So this took a bit of convincing of my husband because we're not typically very DIY orientated. So that meant paying people. But anyway, we bought this a house in the middle of a vineyard village and we, we 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 moved the builders in we had a plan i i saw the plan immediately it was going to have a two room bnb and the rest of the house would be for us and and so in 2001 i opened the bnb with two rooms we loved it we loved it yeah so it's just me and the girls right and how did you get guests so we're well, talking what do you say time. yeah, yeah. Pre-internet, right? You'd put a sign outside. Right. I mean, I got myself listed with Jeep de France, which was a total waste of time, actually. But they gave me the sign, and that's all I wanted. So I had a sign out saying, saying Jeep de France, which it had some credibility in, the, in, the, in those days. I don't know about now. And the tourist office in FNA mm -hmm. listed me on, you know, because people would generally go to the tourist office and say, where can we stay? Yeah. I remember doing that myself when I was traveling. You just exactly. show up. Yeah, you'd just show yeah. up and just they, they would always be somewhere. Yeah. And so, of course, I was running it as a hobby, Jen. It wasn't a business. I did it when I wanted it, when we wanted it. And if we didn't want to do it, we just said we're full. Right. Right. Or, you know, we, we just and we went on holiday and, you know, we went away and, you know, my husband was home. We didn't do it much when he was there. It was really a hobby for me, primarily and the girls. And we had a ball. We had a ball. And then, of course, people started becoming regulars, you know, they because they'd found a little English enclave right, in, yeah. in, in, in rural France. And, and they, you know, because it's a good stopping off point on the way south between Calais and... Yes, uh, it is. And it's about halfway. The Alps and the Alps. Yes. Yeah. It's, a, it's about a third of the way. Yeah. So that you know, that uh, we, we became quite popular when we wanted it. It wasn't a business. Right. They anyway. could get that good cup of tea on their way. That's right. <laughs> yeah, some English conversation and, and some general, you know, local yeah. knowledge. So when did it become 
a business? When did that hobby become a business? Well, there's a little B piece in between this. I'm sure okay. listeners will be eager to hear this bit because I think this is crucial, this bit. Okay. Because in 2004, Moet had a big corporate restructure. So, uh, yes, exactly. So a big swathe of middle management, including my husband, was let go because they completely changed the way they were working. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, and by that time, we'd been in France 10 years. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, I'd had enough. Right. Right. This is still pre-internet for us mm-hmm. in France, right? Still yeah. pre-internet. I think we did have a computer at, towards the end in 2004. And I think we had email, but that was it. Right? Right. We, didn't, we didn't have the internet as we have it now. So I was a, I'd had enough of living in a foreign country and being a foreigner, being an outsider, being a single parent. And, you know, everything that living in a foreign country, I'm sure you can relate, you can never be a native. No. You, you're, there's always a barrier. Yeah. yeah. No, I get that. I'm sure you do. <laughs> I'm sure you do. And it got me down. You know, mm-hmm. after, after 10 years, I'd had enough. So I said, I've got an idea. Let's rent the house out, the French house. Let's go back to the UK. The girls were 12 and 14 and had spent almost their entire life in France. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, we I want to go back to the UK so that they can have a British experience before it's too late, right? <laughs> yes, yes, before they've grown up and gone off, yeah. And, and they could become completely French. So... We did that and we went back to the UK and everything went wrong. Oh no. We had a series of interesting events. (laughs) Well, you know, there's always a silver lining and that's what comes later. But at the time, it was just one thing after another. For a start, my husband was in the middle of having a breakdown, which we didn't actually recognize. Okay, yeah. Not his job. He was 50 years old. And he hadn't been able to get another one and was losing confidence. And then his mother died. So there was that. Our youngest daughter did not like England at all. She missed her French friends. Even though she was not doing well at school, she had a good circle of friends. She missed her her French life. And she struggled with that for about four years self-harming we had to get a psychologist oh my goodness yeah 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 and then and then we started so we started a business right because we didn't know what else to do this is completely new to us we'd never really been in business before Uh and I think this is a good point because if you've never been in business before it's a completely different mindset that you need to being an employee we'd been employees all of our life I'd had this little B&B hobby on the side it wasn't really a business And so I didn't really understand anything about marketing, about how to get in front of your ideal clients at this point. Uh So we started a business importing small champagne brands from our friends back in France, not big brands Uh like like Moet or Verve, Clicquot, but people we knew. And so we set up, and so at that time, the internet was happening. Right. 2005, the internet was happening. 2005 2006 we were persuaded to part with quite a lot of our money that you know we got a big payout from Moet as you can imagine 
And so we had a bit of money and we spent a lot of it on a website, a back-end admin system, all the paraphernalia that go, that went with you mm-hmm. know, having, having an online business in 2005, 2006. It was very expensive. I bet. Yeah. These days you can just, you can knock something together for very little money. But in those days it was thousands. Mm-hmm. So anyway, that we were selling our, the champagne. We had uh, we had a small warehouse. We had uh, we had some good clients. We were selling champagne to restaurants, bars in and around. We were in South Lanchester at the time, mm, okay, in Cheshire, and we were renting a house there because we had still we were still renting out our French house to tenants. <laughs> And we, anyway, that, that business was quite difficult because the, the internet was so new. Right, yes. Um, so that kind of faded away a little bit, that, that business. And then we started another business doing champagne tastings and events for uh, corporate clients. And we focused mainly on big banks and financial institutions in and around South Manchester where we were living. Uh, HBOS was a really good client, HSBC some of the peripheral financial services companies and solicitors and accountants. We were doing lots of events for those, for their clients, corporate events, and selling some of the champagne as well. And so you can imagine what happened in November 2008, can't you? Yes. Everything just yep. died. That's right. Overnight. Yep. Completely lost. They weren't drinking any more champagne. No. They weren't. Ordering, they weren't organizing any corporate events. Yeah. So, 2000, we're up to 2008, 2009, we were out of money at this point. And so we cashed in our pensions because it was our last pot of money while we figured out what the heck to do next. Yes. Meanwhile, the tenants had left the house in France and we were looking for another tenant. So, we decided that we would rent it out as a holiday home and we went with the pension money. We went over in the summer and we refurbished it as a holiday home, as a short-term mm-hmm. rental. And we, at that point, there were people who were managing. This was 2009. And there were people locally who were willing to manage it and do the changeovers. And we, you know, connected with the laundry company and we got, you know, all the people that you need for a short-term rental in place and that went okay that went okay for a few months but for us back in the UK the final straw I think came in September 2009 when the uh my husband and I were away on a a course doing a course somewhere the girls were home alone with the dog and the house caught fire no yes oh my goodness yeah the tumble dryer caught fire and basically, it was in a kind of large kitchen extension that had been built very badly. And the thing just burned down. So now we're homeless. And so a friend offered us a caravan, and we went and lived in that caravan for four months. Yeah. Oh. And then so by Christmas 2009, we're like, what the heck has happened? Yeah. You know, how, how did we go? From drinking that, champagne. That glamorous <laughs> job with Moet. Yeah. Right? To this, to living yeah. to, with no money, no job, no no business, and no home. So we decided, January 2010, at Christmas, we decided we'll go back to France. Because I knew that if all else failed, I could reopen that B&B. Yes. Right? 
And so there were no tenants. You know, we're doing short-term rentals, so we just stopped that immediately. In January 2010, we borrowed some money from family. We went back to France. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm thinking, oh, at least we got somewhere to live. My eldest daughter didn't come, so that was difficult. Okay. She was very happy in Manchester. So how old were how old were the children now? 18 okay. and 17. Okay. So the youngest one, right? She she's like, yes. Yes, this is what I've been waiting for. For five years. Yes. Right? She just slotted back into school like she never left. It was like wow. 24 hours. It was so amazing to witness. Anyway, we I reopened the BB and it was just the hobby thing, you know? Yeah, it was just I was so worn out with everything that had gone out, gone on the, the previous five years. Husband was still depressed, mm-hmm. dreadfully depressed. And then uh, the final, final straw came in March 2010 when I answered a knock at the door to find the bailiffs there to oh, repos- no. repossess the French house because we hadn't paid the mortgage for at least a year. Oh my goodness! Yeah. So I don't know if you've ever had one of those moments where you think, can't go on like this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so after I sort of picked myself up off the floor, I said to the bailiffs, what do I need to do to keep my home? Mm-hmm. And they said, you need to contact the bank. They've been trying to get in contact with you for a year. And I didn't know this. Right. And... Uh, I didn't know we hadn't paid the mortgage for a year. I mean, if I'd thought about it, I probably should have known. Yeah. Given the state of my husband and his mental state, I should have known and the state of our finances, but I hadn't registered it. So at that moment, I thought I got to do something here. And it looks like it, you know, it's down to me. So I wrote a long letter to the bank, gave them the whole nine yards, the whole saga. And I said, I propose to pay you this much a month and here's how I'm going to do it. Uh-huh. So I laid out a whole plan for the B&B business at this right. stage. Because what I'd learned, Jen, in all of that failure and in all of that mess that had gone on in the previous five years in the UK, I had learned a ton about online marketing. Of course, yeah. And I didn't know that I'd learned it until I started to put it to work in my B&B and it took off like a rocket. Uh-huh. Yes. So I made a goal with the bank. I made a, a deal with the bank and they accepted my proposal, which was pretty hairy waiting for that news. But they accepted my proposal and I told them I was going to make 40,000 euros that year and here's how, you know, here's how I'm going to do it. Right. And so by... October, I'd made 40,000 euros. Wow. And I was like, wow, I wonder if I can make 50,000. Yeah. So this is a little, little gem as well. By the, by the time we closed, uh, I think it was 19th or the 20th of December, and family were coming Christmas. I had made something like 49,600 and something, right? Yeah. And I thought I'd given it my best shot, right? I haven't quite made the 50, but I'm going to be happy with that. Yeah, for (laughs) sure. Yes. And then, and then on New Year's Eve, two couples phoned and said they wanted a room and dinner and to buy some champagne for that night. Could they come? And even though we were closed, even though family were there, 
I said yes, and that tipped me over the fifty. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant! So it was incredible. I mean, just incredible the way that that happened. And of course, the following year, I made one hundred and four thousand four hundred ninety-five euros with just four rooms, no online travel agents, wow. or my own work. That is so inspiring. Mm-hmm. That is just so. It is so inspiring. Because, you know, inviting you on today, I didn't know you very well. I knew a bit about your story being in Champagne, but that's about it. I did not know all of that. That is amazing. And so how is it? So then you did end up selling at some point. but Not how, yet. But, not yet. but no. how is the family at this stage? How's, is your husband starting to come out of? In pretty well, bad shape. He's no. still in pretty bad shape. The okay. family was in pretty bad shape for the whole of the next seven years. Okay. Yes, it was. And so uh, so that business was really mine. Mm-hmm. And I ran it, I, you know, I ran it like a business. I had someone to do the laundry. I had someone to do the garden. I had someone to do the cleaning. I worked with local people. I, I believe in working within the community. Yes. Uh, my philosophy is that I'm the bringer of the money as the B&B as the short-term rental or whatever, the hospitality business is the bringer of new money mm-hmm. into, into the community. It's my job to make sure that they spend as much of that money as, they, as possible with me and the people that I recommend. Yes. So the more guests that come, the more croissants I buy from the baker, yes. the more champagne I can sell from my local friends mm-hmm. who produce champagne, and the more dinners I can order from my outside caterer because I stopped doing the cooking. Yeah, I couldn't. My job is just to be with the guests, give them the best experience possible and to bring more. Yeah. Those are my jobs. And the people that you employed as well. Yeah. You know, for their families. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly my philosophy. So I ran that very successfully for the next seven years, Mm -hmm. you know, making around a hundred thousand sometimes over sometimes just under depending on what else was going on yeah but that was my benchmark a hundred thousand with four rooms and and then in 2016 something happened where I won a contract to create and deliver some hospitality training programs to a fledgling tourism industry in a little country called Kyrgyzstan Mm, no, okay. Right. I wasn't <laughs> expecting you to say that. I, uh, I, I was just as shocked, right? They contacted me on LinkedIn and they said, they're looking for the consultants who can create and deliver training. C- can you do it? And I said, yes, because at this point I was actually helping other people. Mm. So I started helping other people in about 2013 after three years of this, you know, success. Yeah. I was in link- LinkedIn forums And I was, people were asking questions that I knew the answer to. So I started to help people. And then I was saying, you know, do this and then do this and let me know what happens. And they were going, oh my God, it works. Yeah. It works. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm going, well, yeah. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I made a little program, right? I created a little program because I got fed up repeating myself. And I said, you know, just, and it was really, I think it was 97 bucks, right? Mm-hmm. It was just a few things. It was just a, a few things that moved, the, you know, that moved the needle for people. And, and that program has grown and grown and grown into a very comprehensive 12-month coaching and mentoring program 
for which I charge $9,000 because it's 12 months and it's very thorough. It's really the A to Z of how to start, run and grow an independent hospitality business. Brilliant. Yeah. So by 2016, I I had coaching clients. You know, I had online as Mm -hmm. well as my B&B. I was running two businesses. And then, so when they approached me in 2016 and said, can you do it? I said, well, yes, I've never done it before, but I'm pretty sure I know what I'm doing because I know my stuff works and I know how to lay it out because I've made a course. Uh, I know how to create workbooks. I know how to, you know, deliver this stuff. I know how to coach. Um, Because one of the things that I did actually when we were in the UK, which I missed off, was learn how to be a coach because, you know, we had a very uh, depressed daughter and a depressed husband in our family. And I, so I learned my NLP practitioner and master practitioner and became a coach. So I had those skills as well Yeah, that I really only learned for the benefit of my family. I didn't want to be a, a coach yeah. per se. But so you they, thought they, they would help you any folks with it. Yeah. Yes. Definitely. I'd learned a ton of skills in the, during all of that chaos. I'd learned a ton of skills. I also, during that time, met with personal development for the first time in my life. Mm-hmm. which completely floored me, completely floored me. Yeah, well, those who that are employed all their lives, they don't understand yeah. the whole world of personal development. I have, right. you know, friends that have worked their way up in companies and they look at what I do and they just go, I don't get it. And I said, no. I know, because it's a completely different mentality, isn't it? It is. It is. It is. You have to be continuously improving yourself to be able to cope with everything Yes. Not just the skills, but mentally and the mindset. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I, I, I'd love to talk about that later as well, because I believe that a direct bookings business is primarily a mindset. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, just to get back to so mm-hmm. 2016, I went to Kyrgyzstan three times and I delivered these five hospitality trainings to their people, which they were thrilled with. And I loved it. And it was all done in Russian. <laughs> no way. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> so I was speaking English into right. this microphone. And there was two translators at the back of the room in sort of cabins listening to my English and then speaking in Russian, translating it simultaneously into Russian so that the participants in the room could understand what I was saying. Wow. It was crazy. It was crazy, but great fun. Mm-hmm. Great, but I ended up on Kogi's TV. Uh, I mean, it was just crazy, 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 crazy. Like, English, oh, English superstar has oh, come into God. the country. God. So then I, so I thought, God, I, I love this. I love this. And so at the end of 2016, I was really evaluating my life, and you know, my marriage has had pretty much disappeared. Mm-hmm. Um, my youngest daughter had left home now. She was at college. My oldest daughter was still in the UK. She was doing okay. And I thought, hmm. So I left. I closed in 2017. I closed my B&B and I left. Hmm. So you didn't sell it as a business? No. Closed it. Done. Didn't want to, no, I didn't want to hang on to anything. I wanted a clean break. My husband stayed there. And we got back together again a year later, I'm pleased mm-hmm. to say. And, you know, we're still together. And, you know, that that will be that right. will be for the rest of our lives. It's hard work, but we're beginning to understand what happened. Yes. Which I think is really important. 
Mm-hmm. And so when I left in 2017, I started to build up my coaching business, Better Witness Coach, and here we are. Right. Wow. <laughs> what a story. Like, I, you couldn't make that up. No. You crazy. know? It's a crazy story. It is a crazy mm-hmm. story. It mm-hmm. really, really is a crazy story. I don't even know where to go from there. <laughs> I really don't. I really Ask me anything. Don't. Ask yeah. me anything. Oh, well, that was just, that was amazing. So now you're coaching people. Do you ever wish you were back running that B&B? Or are you really, truly glad those days have finished and you've moved on? I do miss it sometimes because we actually sold the house last year. So we had the house while we were using it as uh, we had another tenant. We had another tenant after after we both left the house in 2018. And then last in 2021, we went back there again, just as our holiday home. Right. And we sold it. We sold it in 2021. And yes, I do. I do think about that. And I I do, you know, because you look at things with hindsight. Uh, But I think that there were many reasons why we sold it. And, you know, we were very emotional because it it served us well. Uh And it had been our family home for 21 years. Right. And... And you fought to save it. Yes. And, And it served us very well. It was a beautiful house, really big house, right? And... But, you know, there's always a downside. The downside to that, it needs constant work, right. constant work. It's an old house. And, you know, the, all the logical reasons, all the rational reasons for not investing any more money in that property were there, right? It just didn't mm-hmm. make any financial sense whatsoever. So the only reason that we were hanging on to it and we were was emotional. Right. And so there had to come a time where... We had to just be sensible about this, right? And stop hankering after the past. You know, what was has gone. And to look forwards to what else do we want to create in our lives? So, yes, I mean, I, I do miss it uh, from time to time. But, but, you know, that was then. And mm-hmm. it was brilliant, all of it. And this is now. This yes. Is now. Mm. Yes. I am so glad that you're coming to speak at the summit in September. I'm so glad that we have connected this. Your story is, yeah, it's just inspiring. So let's talk a bit about the summit and coming to speak. So your summit presentation is going to be on how to fill your rooms in the low season. Now, if you were in your B&B, you were open all year round? Uh, pretty much we did close for two weeks in august funnily enough oh okay yes 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 there's a reason for that because of the area and also we closed the first two weeks of january Mm -hmm. as well so and and then over christmas you know so we you know we, we were open pretty much all year it wasn't a seasonal business no no and that's what i think a lot of people we get in our heads don't we with high season low season mid season but there are ways to sort of flatten that if you will there are so, yeah so that it is an all year round business yes well i'm really looking forward to hearing more about that can you give us a sneak peek of anything on there or why you're speaking about this yes because this is the main question that people ask me you know how do i fill my rooms in the low season help the season slowing down 
you know, and they wait until the season starts slowing down yes. before they then, do anything. Yes, right? and then the panic sets in. That's yes. right, the panic sets in. It's a common question, and I think, and it's really easy to solve, right? But it starts with the mindset we were talking about earlier. Mm-hmm. It starts with a mindset, and there are, you, you've got to be thinking ahead, right? You can't just, I know it's busy in the high season, yeah. obviously, even in Champagne, there's a high season and a low season, but you can flatten it. You can flatten it. Obviously, you're going to make more money in the summer, but you can make money in the winter as well. First of all, you have to pace yourself. Like I just said, we closed for two weeks in August. Now, many people would think, oh, that must be suicide. Mm. Actually, it wasn't because it gave me a break. And you do need to take a break Yes, in this business. You cannot work seven days a week, you know, for six months of the year, you cannot. It's impossible. Your guests will feel your energy depleted and they will have a less than perfect experience with you, which will reflect in your reviews and it's a downward spiral. You must take time off. However you do that is really entirely up to you. Maybe you think that two weeks in August is suicide and it might be for you, but it wasn't Mm -hmm. for me, right? You have to find out, you know, where can I take time off? And that might be two days a week. When you work, you get two days off a week, right? Saturday and Sunday. If you can't take Saturday and Sunday off because it's a seasonal tourist business, then, you know, take two other days off or take one day off or just take some time off. But us that are self-employed, you know, we are working 24-7. We are our own worst bosses, really. We like the boss from hell. We are, and we've yeah. got to realize that we need that downtime too. Yes, we yeah. do. Yeah. So the first thing is to plan ahead so that you know when you need a break and you're going to take a break, right? The second thing is to be thinking about the reasons that you could attract guests in the winter. Like, you know, there's always, if you're in a tourist area, which most people are, most people in this business are in some kind of tourist area then there's always things going on because it isn't just you who wants to extend the season. Exactly. It's all of the attractions as well, right? So Uh work with them and make sure that you are promoting other people in your area at all times of the year, but especially in the low season. So for an example, as an example, right, we worked with a tourist office in Epene, which was our nearest town. Uh Uh-huh. And they were keen to extend the season, of course, because, you know, more tourists means more taxes, more income for them, right, for the council, for the town. So they extended, they they put on a couple of events in December, and there was another great event that our other town, which was Reims, which was the sort of, we were equidistant, a little bit closer to Reims than we were to Okay. But equidistant, really, in the vineyards in a vineyard village. Reims had a fantastic wine festival going on in November. And we created a special champagne weekend based around the wine festival and then including some of our friends in the village and we would organise a champagne dinner with one of our friends in their cellars, candlelit. You know, experiences that the ordinary tourists could yes. never find on their own, right? That's what we were looking for. They could easily have gone to the wine festival on their own but they had us translating. My children helped. You know, they we, they had guides. We would take the wine back for them. We would just give them a really good 
mm-hmm. experience in Champagne in November, in the low season, where maybe it was raining, but who cares when you're drinking champagne? Right. right? <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, people loved it because this is the sort of thing that you cannot get access to. No. If you don't live there. No. And you can't. These are the type of experiences. This is what sets us apart from hotels. Exactly. And big corporations. Exactly. They can't you know? do that either. No. They cannot. But we can. Exactly. Yeah. And it's a huge marketing opportunity. It's huge. And I don't think many small operators, independent owners, take full advantage of this. However, there's another thing that you must do, right, in order for this to work. And I think this is the key to everything in business, and particularly this business, but I think it's the key to everything in every business. You don't wait until you need the money or the bookings before you ask for it, right? Yeah. Yep. You you build relationships in advance so that you've got some emotional bank account money, if you like, in the minds, in the hearts and minds of your past guests primarily and your social media followers so that they know who you are, they know what you do, and so that when you present them with an offer to come and come back and stay with you or come for the first time, they already know, like, and trust you. They already see you as the expert on your area. They already know that you have got their back, that you have got them covered, and that you're going to give them the best experience that they could ever have in your area. They've got to know that. That's got to be a belief in their minds before you start trying to sell rooms. Yeah, that's gold right there. That really is gold. Mm. That's amazing. Thank yeah. you. <laughs> Thank you're, you're you for sharing that. A little, I'll stop you there. We don't want to give everything away. We want no. to come to your presentation. Right. Yeah. Right. Is there anything that you are looking forward to learning about or hearing about at the summit? I'm always interested in learning what other people are doing and how I can adapt that, you know, for my clients or how I can get inspiration. I learn best by watching and listening to other people. Mm-hmm. So I'm always looking at things, looking at what people are doing online, what's worked here might work over there, you know, in a different way, but it can be adapted. I'm looking forward to learning myself. Yes. Oh, great. Now I'm ending all of these sessions with the on the podcast asking the same question. What does direct booking success mean to you? Direct booking success means freedom, basically. Freedom, confidence. And your ability to create your own life. That's what it is. It's the ticket to the freedom that you thought you might might have from being self-employed, but maybe haven't quite got. It's your ticket to increase confidence because as you learn the skills, and there are skills to learn in this business, just because don't, you know, like me, in the beginning, I was I thought, you know, I'd just be a great host because I'm good at that, right? Yeah. But it, there's so much more to it now than, than there was in the, in the old days. So you have to be prepared to learn the skills. And when you do, that will increase your confidence massively. And the, to be self-employed generally and to be an independent hospitality owner gives you, with the skill set, with the mindset, it gives you the freedom to create the life that you want. So you have to, you have to take it. Yeah. Thank you for that. Thank you, Yvonne, for coming on today. You're welcome. I have enjoyed this immensely. Before we go, can you tell everyone where we can find you, find out more about you? 
Sure. I'm all over the internet, as you'd expect. <laughs> you can go to my website, bedandbreakfastcoach.com, and you can take our quiz, which will give you an idea on where you're strong and where you're weak in your business and where you maybe need to brush up on your skill set. That's a very interesting quiz to take. Oh, that um, sounds brilliant. Second place you can find me is on YouTube. I post at least one video every week. I've got about just over 4,000 subscribers. You can ask questions. I always answer comments that uh, you may, you leave on YouTube. So there's tons of resources for you on YouTube. And then there's my Facebook group. It's called the Bed and Breakfast Owners Group. It's a very dynamic international community. We have tons of resources in there as well. And of course, the wisdom and experience of a ton of hosts around the world. Brilliant. Well, thank you again. And I look forward to your presentation in September at the Direct Booking Success Summit. Thanks. Me too. Thank you for listening to the Direct Booking Success Podcast. For more information about this episode and others, head to the website directbookingsuccess.com. See you next week.